This was recorded live at Trinity Church in San Juan, Puerto Rico. For more information, go to trinitypr.org. Good morning, Trinity. We're so glad that you're with us. If you're just logging in or whatever on YouTube, we're so glad you found us. We are in the middle of a sermon series, and this morning we find ourselves in Psalm 23. Psalm 23 is the single most famous psalm of all of history, and uh, you don't have to have been raised in the church to know Psalm 23. Both the pious and the, dare I say it, the impious know Psalm 23. In fact, it's all over our uh, music, isn't it? I mean, I looked it up just this week. Uh, People citing the lyrics of this psalm. Pink Floyd, U2, Grateful Dead, Kanye West, Coolio, Gangster's Paradise, anybody? You know what I'm talking about? I might be dating myself here. It's even in our movies. Pulp Fiction, X-Men, Book of Eli. It's all over the place. Everyone knows Psalm 23, but it's not just popular in our culture, but it has been on the lips of believers for thousands and thousands of years. And in fact, people with their very final breaths in their lungs would use that air to recite Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And not just people who are about to pass on, but people who are hurting, parents who see their children suffering, Diagnosis of cancer. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. You find yourself positive with COVID-19. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And so these sacred and precious words, we've heard them forever. And precisely because they're so familiar, sometimes we can kind of miss some of what God wants to teach us through them, right? Just for instance, at the very beginning, it begins by saying, God is my shepherd, right? In other words, that is a very peculiar thing to do, to call God by a name of a blue-collar vocation, right? Would you say, God is my au pair? God is my waiter? God is my gardener? It's odd. See, it's very comfortable, right, for us to use transcendent titles for God. God is the creator. God is the almighty, the deliverer, the redeemer. But God is my shepherd? No one, no ancient religion talked about God with such blue collar, inelegant ways, except the people of Israel. Why? Because they understood that the relationship between a shepherd and a sheep was a very important relationship of trust. And Trinity, isn't trust what we need? I mean, who can we possibly trust in our culture anymore, right? I mean, our national news, what is it, MSNBC or CNN or Fox News? I mean, who who are you going to trust? Who's actually telling it to you straight? Or your politics, or your politicians. I don't care what aisle of the, you land on, what side of the aisle you're on, who's going to the voting booth and just saying, I just trust my guy, I just feel good about him, I just totally trust him. No one trusts your institutions. Trust is something that we all long for. And yet, what we're going to see today is David say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. What is he saying? He's like, what could I possibly want? I get everything. I just trust him. I feel so much assurance and so much confidence in the Lord as my shepherd. Psalm 23 
is going to give us that assurance and that confidence, but not by telling us about ourselves. He's not going to say, just look inside, just look in your heart, and you'll find the path. No, no, no. Listen, guys, we couldn't find the path of righteousness if it was right in front of us. The only path we know to get on is the path of self-righteousness, right? No, we need a shepherd who will lead us, and he will tell us, God is going to give us confidence by telling us what he is like. And so we're going to look into this and see what God is like. And so if you are a note taker, you're going to find that this sermon, we're going to discover what God is like by studying verses one through four, God as a shepherd, and then verses five and six, God as a host. Shepherd, host, let's turn our attention now reverently to the very best part of this whole sermon, Psalm 23. And I know these words are really familiar. Try to listen to them with new ears. I'm going to read it slowly and carefully for us. Listen now to these famous lyrics. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God stands, endures, remains forever. May he bless it for you and for the preacher. Amen. Amen. So our New Testament reading, John 10, it's interesting in the Gospels, we find Jesus going from town to town teaching about the kingdom of God, right? And he's the king. And so he tells us about what he's like and tells us about what his enemies are like. And he says, hey, listen, the enemy, he's like a thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But not me. I come that you might have life and have it overflowing, have life abundantly. Why? Because I am the good shepherd. See, what Jesus is doing that moment, he's saying, Psalm 23, that's me. It's all about me. And I am not a hired hand, right? When the wolves come, I don't just cut bait and run. They're like, hey, hey, what? I didn't sign up for this. Jesus says, I absolutely signed up for this. I laid down my life for the sheep. I'm going to lead them. And it's interesting because that's what we see there in Psalm 23. Look at verses 2 and 3. He leads. He leads. And where does he lead us to? Verse 2, he leads us to green pastures. Verse 3, he leads us to still waters. Now, here's what I want you to notice about this. is green pastures, still waters, it's plural, right? This isn't just a one-time deal. Over and over, he keeps bringing us back, bringing us back. He's not like some discount Sherpa on Mount Kilimanjaro who kind of takes you up. And then when it gets rough, he says, hey, everyone take a big drink because you're on your own from here. And he just points you the way. See, Jesus isn't pointing anywhere. He's leading you and you're following. And he then takes you to this place of rest and restoration. And he makes you to lie down. See, what, what we don't understand is that 
shepherds understand about their sheep that they won't lie down. They'll stay on their feet unless they're cared for. So how does the shepherd get them to lie down? He doesn't just like leg sweep them, right? This isn't like cow tipping. What does he do? The shepherd is dealing with their anxieties and providing for them, making them feel a lack of fear from their enemies and their predators. He provides for them no hunger or even the irritants like fleas. He provides for them so that they can enter into that rest and restoration. That's not the only place where he leads. Look there in verse three. He leads me to paths of righteousness. Do you see that? And then where precisely are those paths of righteousness? It clarifies and tells us that route in verse four, doesn't it? The valley of the shadow of death. In other words, he leads us into painful, even, paths of righteousness. It's kind of hard for us to understand this as uh, modern people, but what the original audience would have understood is that in the springtime, there, there are lowlands that are plush with green pastures for their shepherds to care for their sheep. But then summers would come, and the ice on the mountains would melt, and then the the lowlands would dry up or be overgrazed. And so the shepherds had to make the hard and confusing decision to take their sheep up to the, plush, the new plush grounds, which are on these mountain plateaus. But what you need to understand is to get to that mountain plateaus, between these mountains are these valleys. And you had to go through these valleys. But here's what's, what I want you to understand is that these valleys aren't just going down and they're not going to nowhere You're going through these valleys to get somewhere higher to a place of greater nourishment. He's going to take you through these valleys, shadows of death, to get you to that place of higher nourishment. Now, here's what it's important to see. In verses 2 and 3, when David is imagining the still waters and the green pastures, he talks about God. But look look there in your text. What happens in verse 4? When he goes into the valley of shadow of death, he stops talking about God and he starts talking to God. Even though I walk through the valley of shadow, you are with me, right? Not he is with me, you, he's talking to God. See, in in the green pastures, we talk about God, but in the valley, we talk to God. Now listen, Trinity, I wanna be the pastor that is just honest about the brokenness and the heartbreak of this world, right? It is not kind to teach people that if you just follow Jesus, everything's gonna be fine in your life because it's not true. It is not true. And if you hear a little bit of indignancy in my voice, it's because I'm mad about these egomaniac evangelical pastors who will sell the gospel as if it's some self-help therapeutic gimmick. John the Baptist followed Jesus and he ended up with his head on a platter. The disciples followed Jesus and they all died bad, right? I have seen enough even in my own life to know it's just not true. I have buried a man who three months earlier, I officiated his wedding and had to console this young widow. I have kissed the forehead of a six-week-old baby there in San Jorge Hospital who 12 hours later would die, pass on, be with the Lord, But when that child died, so did the dreams of that new mother. 
I have wept with parents whose college daughter comes in for a Sunday night family dinner, a great time, promising life. She says goodbye, walks out, 100 yards past her front door. She is in a car accident. She is dead on the pavement. What do you do with that? That is the valley of shadow of death. That's what those people are walking through. And see, the thing is, is our enemy thinks he has these people. He's got them. Our enemy thinks that this is when they give up and they turn cynical. This is when the enemy says, now I'm going to snuff out their faith. I got them. I got them where I want them. Has anyone ever just questioned the goodness of God in like really hard seasons, right? Where pain and suffering just makes no sense. Like God, how in the world is this thing supposed to bring glory to you? I mean, how are you going to use this thing? I have. Listen, when Christians are going through this valley of the shadow of death and they respond in in deep trust and assurance, you know what it does? It flips Satan's playbook on its head, right? And as they cry out through their tears, right, they can bring the words of Job, the righteous server, and they say, though he slay me, I will trust him. I mean, how? Why? I mean, how could they possibly say that? And you know what they say to me? They say, Ronnie, my nightmares came true. The valley is, oh, so dark. But God was with me. Ronnie, I don't worship this life. I don't worship my good circumstances. I worship the God of this life. I worship him who walks with me. He comforts me. See, God has something on the far horizon of greater purpose and nourishment that only he knows about. He's the only one that can make sense of this. And so I don't worship my logic and understanding. I just stick with him. When Christians recite and believe and allow Psalm 23 to pour over them, it flips our enemy's playbook on its head It doesn't snuff out faith. It awakens a new harvest of life. Think about this, like your your children, when they're they're seeing you in the valley, right? In the darkness, and, and you cry out to God, though you slay me, I will trust you, Lord. When your children see that, they understand and will grow and believe that God. When your neighbor sees you in the valley and you cry out to the Lord and you just call to him, it'll make Jesus, a shepherd for them. They'll want that shepherd when they walk through their valley too. And so parents, I'm real serious about this. You've got to listen up, please. You must do anything and everything possible to make sure that your children see God in this way. Do not pawn off some gimmicky, weak, version of Christianity, a God who's no shepherd, you, they must see God in this way because, listen, you might shelter them and you might protect them today, but everyone must go through the valley of shadow of death. Everyone. There is no overpass. And when they pass through the valley, on that day, will your children say, though he slay me, still I Trust him. Will your children say that on that day? Can you 
say with unbreakable faith those same words. This brings us to the second part of our passage. So in verses one through four, we see God is a shepherd. He is leading us. He is with us. And now this journey ends at a banquet. And God is our host. That's what we see in verses five and six. Now it's worth noting here that this banquet is in the presence of our enemies. All right, so you see that in verse five? Like what kind of banquet has enemies present? And here it is. It is a victory banquet. It's one where the king wins and celebrates. It's a victory banquet. Let me explain to you the the logic of David for these last couple of verses with an illustration. Uh, Do you know what makes my children just absolutely giddy with laughter, just kind of overflowing with joy? It's when they see Amanda and I kissing. Like, my kids just love it. They just want to see us kissing all the time. I don't know what it is. We always have an audience. They just explode with laughter. They can't control themselves. They just hold their arms up like in victory, like they just hit the lottery. They just laugh. And why is that? It's that our affection gives them confidence and assurance. And it it bubbles over, right, with laughter and delight. Maybe we could say it like this. Their cup overflows. See, those are the emotions that David is trying to capture. So on one hand, what you see in verse 5 is that God is being generous, right? The host, he is giving anointing with fine oil, right? This isn't Crisco. This isn't vegetable oil. This is a sign of the host being so generous with you. And then what is he doing? He's filling up. You have like this bottomless chalice with the finest and most choicest wines. But the overflowing cup doesn't just represent like a waiter who just keeps coming around, right? It's deeper than that. It represents our souls being besieged with confidence and assurance and delight. See, not just our cup, but it's our soul overflows. And so at this victory banquet, we can see our enemies, right? They're in sight, but we see them while being seated in a chair at the table, of God, our host. And so what we have is Christ, our shepherd, leading us and then hosting us. And I don't know, when you're at this party, maybe you think it's like a who's who. Maybe it feels like you're an imposter. You don't belong there. And you come to grips with the fact that you're pretty weak. And we're just waiting, right? We're just waiting for God to expose us as a bunch of frauds, right? And so we have these figures, right? These, these, these shadowy figures that are always chasing us. They're on our six. They're on our tracks. We can hear their footsteps behind us. It's like a tax collector who's going to come and finally make us pay for our sins. But then we turn around. And what do we see? It's goodness, And it's mercy. They're the ones who are following us all the days of our lives. That's who it was the whole time. I am begging you to believe this gospel. The gospel is a story about God's mercy and goodness through Jesus Christ, hunting you down, having his way with you, embracing you, making sure that you get home, giving you assurance for your soul. And y'all, that's, That's a summary of Psalm 23. God is your shepherd leading you through, but hunting you down and making sure that you rest in his arms. 
caring for you with you. Would you just let me conclude with one final story I want to read from you. I learned it from Pastor Sam Kim, and this story just really deeply impacted me this week. I want to tell you about Mark and Susan. Mark is an army officer, and he's married to Susan, who he loved with his whole heart. But at age 34, due to a medical misdiagnosis, Susan lost her sight, and she was blind and becoming deeply cynical. When she lost her sight, Mark saw her sink into despair, and he was determined to help his wife gain her confidence and become independent again. Now, after a year, she finally came to a place where she was ready to try to go back to work. But how could she do it? She was blind. And so Mark volunteered to drive her, even though they worked on opposite sides of the city. Now, at first, it comforted Susan, and it fulfilled Mark's needs, quite honestly, to protect his wife. She was quite insecure about doing even the simplest tasks for herself. But after a little time, Mark realized that this arrangement could not last. Susan is going to have to start taking the bus. But she was so fragile and so insecure about her condition that he was really afraid of how she would respond. And just as he predicted, she was extremely upset, even at just the idea. She was horrified. She's like, I am blind, Mark. How am I supposed to know where I'm going? I feel like you are abandoning me. Mark's heart broke hearing those words, but he knew what he had to do for her, for her sake. So he promised her that each morning and each evening, he would ride the bus with her for as long as it took until she got the hang of it. And that's exactly what happened. For two solid weeks, Mark and his military uniform accompanied Susan to and from work each day. He taught her how to kind of rely on her other senses to kind of determine where she was. And he helped introduce her to the bus drivers, make a friendship with them so that they would look out for her and save her a seat. And finally, the day came when Susan was ready and she decided she was ready to make the trip alone. So that Monday came, and she threw her arms around Mark, her temporary bus riding companion, her husband, but really her best friend. And her eyes filled with tears with thankfulness for his loyalty and his incredible patience and kindness. And she said goodbye, and for the first time since she had become blind, they went their separate ways. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, took the bus. It worked out perfectly. And Susan never felt better. She never felt more confident. She was going to work all by herself. Well, on the last day of that week, on Friday morning, Susan took the bus to work. And as she was about to exit the bus, the bus driver said these words to her. Boy, do I sure envy you. Now, Susan wasn't even sure that the bus driver was speaking to her or not. I mean, who on earth would envy a blind woman who struggled for the whole last year to even live? She responded, why do you say that you envy me? And the bus driver responded, it must feel good to be taken care of and protected as you are. Still having no idea what the bus driver is talking about, she says, what do you mean? And the bus driver says, Every morning for the last week, 
a fine-looking gentleman in military uniform has been standing across that corner watching you. And he makes sure that you cross the street safely. And he watches you all the way into your office building. And then he blows you a kiss. And he gives you a sweet little salute. And he goes on. You are one lucky lady, says the bus driver. Tears of joy stream down her cheeks. Because although she could not physically see Mark, he was always there. Trinity, if there's anything beautiful in this very true story, it is just just a fragrance, just a shadow of what is true with your good shepherd, Christ, who is always there with you. God is your shepherd. He is your host. You, you do not want, what else could you possibly want? This, he is always with you, loving you, taking care of you, chasing you down with goodness and mercy. This is meant to give you this unbreakable, unshakable hope and confidence that even in the valley, your Lord is with you. He loves you. Would you let these precious lyrics pour over your soul and move you into new confident living in Christ. Amen. Amen.